black men are complex. Mm-hmm. Conversations about black men, not right. You look at podcasts, you look at social media, you look at pop culture. Depictions of us are just like we we're one extreme of the other. We be, we benevolent kings walking around here like we're gods roaming right. the earth. We here to save this shit. Right. Respect us, you know, like or we are the worst motherfuckers in yeah. the world. Holding the gun up in the IG, like, yeah. Bro, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it's right, like, right. I, and I don't think I'm either of those things. I think I'm fucking human. Right. I right. think I'm out here like having experience. I now I do think it's unique because mm-hmm. we're black and we're men and we live in a white supremacist patriarchal culture. There are right. ways that I benefit from being a, a man for sure. I think it, it'd be dishonest if, if, to to not own that, but um, but. Uh, they're, they're, it's com- we're complex, man. Our culture, the way that we like engage with each other, and then our experience going to Morehouse is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Right, like, so actually, uh, let me ask you. We'll just, we're just we're starting. We're, okay. we're starting. Yeah. I'm already right. recorded, yeah. and right. so that's kind of what I what I do, right? Like try to get into this thing is is hey. <laughs> 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 hey, we gotta keep that we gotta keep that boy man. that door is whooping your ass boy <laughs> It's perfect. These are the things that we, oh, these are the, this is the stuff. So that was cherry, <laughs> right? Um, that, w- that was perfect, man. And that's the other thing. This ain't supposed to be like polished perfect. Okay. It's supposed yeah, to be I'm authentic. And cherry said something like that. Yes, sir. And you're not looking for perfection. You're looking for authenticity. Okay. So, um, so actually, I do need him to close that before I actually say welcome to grab your why. All right, welcome to grab your why. Uh, where we're exploring the complexities of black men, our relationships with each other, our relationships with society. Um, and yeah, today, one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, almost no, half our lives at this point, man. That's crazy. It's cra- It that's doesn't crazy. feel like it. It doesn't, but I guess 2006, that's about 15 years. Yeah. 15, bro, 17 Seven, years. 17 years. Seven crazy. Years. So next year, in another year, it'll be half of our lives and yeah. at that point it'll be more than half our lives yeah. that we've known each other crazy but this is dom jones dominic jones um yeah 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 we'll, we'll get into we'll get into into it but yeah one one of the greatest guys i know um, i appreciate that man yeah honestly this is this is this nah, is my you kind of man, man too yeah, Boy, yeah. He's my best man right here yeah, yeah yeah hey best man best man at this guy's wedding Yo, right. I, uh, let's start it's there. It's been a long road. Yeah. Let's start there because that, that's that been, we had conversations, I feel, um, if, I, if I recall correctly, if I remember correctly, all the way back to probably sophomore year, mm-hmm. right? Talking about like relationships and stuff. And me and you would always have these kind of ups and downs. And yeah. like, yeah, nigga, I'm trying to be in these streets. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey man, I don't want to be in these streets, bro. 
uh, it's, it's too much going right. on out here to, to not. And then it, these other moments is like, bro, all this feels kind of empty. Yeah. And we would alternate. I would be like, oh, man, I'm just really crushing on this girl, man. I just really want to. And you'd be like, I'm trying to be in these streets. And then it would like roll reverse. And you'd be like, yeah, well, we're trying to work it out. And I'm just like, hey, man, I'm I'm in D.C. having a great time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. And and, and so to, to be at the point where like, man, we're in our mid 30s. You know, niggas in their careers. I'm talking about the journey because I want to definitely mm-hmm. get into that because I think you got some some insight and some gems, yeah. uh, uh, you know, to that are invaluable. Um, but to be at this point and to be able to be your best man after having those conversations, seeing your journey, walking with you through certain things like that, um, it, it, it's a it's a real honor. I know everybody says it, but it, but it really is. So the way I found out, Dom sent me. Uh, uh, a, a note and uh, a, a cigar like box. So it said, "Best man, Brian Garrett." You know, in their wedding date, um, Dom and Brittany's wedding date. And yeah, man, it was just I was like genuinely like I didn't expect it. Right? I'm like, no, nah, I don't expect it. This is my guy's wedding. Like, you know, I'm gonna be there at the very least. Like, if I need to be the best man, like, cool. But I, it wasn't a real. Yeah, man. It wasn't what I was like aiming for, you know what I mean? I, oh, yeah. I don't offended. think anybody ever aims for it, but in my from my perspective, it was never a doubt in my mind. Dang. Never a doubt in my mind. Dang. That's real, man. I I appreciate that. You said that in the letter too. And and um yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something that we that we've thought about, talked about for 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 years of like, dang it, man, at some point we're gonna get married and like wow, we're gonna be at each other's like weddings and all mm-hmm. like all this kind of stuff. So to be at this point and not feeling like we like old heads, but like, you know, it's all re- old head is relative, but at this point we're to somebody. Somebody's we're we're old heads now. But yo, I'm gonna go back. So we meet at Morehouse College, mm-hmm. two thousand six, Du Bois Hall. Um what did like coming into Morehouse, how did you how did you end up at Morehouse? And yeah, how did you end up at Morehouse? I ended up at Morehouse because my mother in the spring of I guess 2006 was like, hey, like just apply to more. She was like, I called Morehouse. They're still accepting applications like apply and maybe I should back up. I basically grew up in New Jersey in South Jersey, Atlantic City. My whole extended family is from Atlantic City. And then in middle school, moved to Atlanta. But, you know, like in my high school, decent high school, I would say my high school was like decent. It wasn't wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst. But in my mind, in my mind, I always thought I would, you know, go Ivy League, go back up northeast, all that good stuff. So I applied to like maybe six or seven schools, did not get into a single one. I did a like a senior year of high school trip to like Europe. And that's when all the like, you know, acceptance or what would be denial letters were coming in. I came back. It was like five denials. Didn't get into the University of Georgia. Applied to Georgetown. Didn't get into Georgetown. Didn't get into Harvard. I interviewed for Harvard. I interviewed for Columbia. Like went to like downtown Atlanta in this skyscraper. Like actually like walked in there. It was like me, two other black kids, and then like 20 white kids. Like, you said I got, downtown Atlanta? Yeah. Downtown, this is the Columbia Columbia um, interview was down there in this like conference room, bunch of white kids. Like they just got t-shirts and sneakers on. I got like my best pair of dress shoes and my, and my uh, slacks with the, with the, with the hard crease, like to like uh, uh, 
button up, tie, everything. And that was like one of the first instances where I was like, okay, like, okay, the world's a little bit different outside the east side of Atlanta. But applied to all those schools, didn't get into a single one. And my mom called Morehouse and was like, they said they're still accepting applications. Apply. I applied. And then like maybe like four weeks on paper. I'm pretty sure it was on paper. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I applied on paper. And then a couple of weeks later, got the acceptance back and actually got a full ride. And so... I always like to say I went to Morehouse and they gave me a full ride, but in that same breath, I like to say like I didn't get into anywhere else. Mm. Bro, I, I didn't know all that. I knew I remember you had said that and every now and then we we talked about it. I knew that you I remember you saying you hadn't gotten anywhere else. I didn't realize that you applied to Morehouse that late. I just thought it was Yeah. It was like wow. Super, super late. Wow. It's funny, my mom encouraged me to apply to Morehouse. Oh, yeah. My dream school was UNC Chapel Hill. Right. Did didn't you get, get into in. Carolina? I didn't. I didn't. I also applied to like UNC Charlotte, I think, and Winston-Salem State. And I think I got in, but didn't really want to go. Um, and when I didn't get into UNC and my mom had already encouraged me, I applied to Morehouse as kind of a safety school, honestly. Yeah. But once I get, didn't get in UNC, I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to Morehouse. You know, I kind of defaulted. I looked it. at Morehouse as a safety school myself because... I remember the first time I ever saw the campus, me and my boy Jerry drove over to Morehouse campus from the east side. So it's about maybe like a 20 minute drive. We pull off 55B, bus a right, go down. And I remember I was like walking around like the quad and I was like, man, this campus don't look like a nothing. And I literally thought to myself, I was like, it's all right. Like, it's okay. Like, go here for a semester and then transfer out to UGA. Wow. Even after I saw it. Now, this granted, is after this you was got in. in. Was, I, I got in. I got admitted, saw the campus, and was just like, it's okay. Like, you can still get the UGA. You'll just transfer. Dang. That's amazing. So, so here, all right, wow. Because so, I would have I got full tuition at UGA, too, because I was like an in-state resident. Right. And, they, like, the Hope Scholarship at that point, you just needed a 3.0 in high school. Yep. And you got full tuition at any state school, right? So, all you just got just to gotta get in. So, Cost wasn't really an issue, but it was it was interesting how I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to Harvard and, and Yale or whatever, whatever. And then I was like, oh, now I'm in Morehouse. And it's like, oh, then I was like, kind of like, oh, I guess I'll just go to yeah. transfer to UGA. So what changed? What, what, what happened in that time? You know what? Like, I would say legit, like NSL, like and a new student orientation, like that week was like, oh, wow. Like, no, this stuff is different, man. Like they're, like they're approaching like everything different, and you know it's it's all the the school pep and the rah rah, and like this is the greatest school on earth. And I'm I'm quite sure people go to Oberlin, and Oberlin is like, yeah, we big O, you know, like the Oberlin, you know, you know, like at the, every school has a version of that. But like I felt like not only was to me from my perception Morehouse like really rooted in like okay, well, this is a unique situation to teach a unique population so we're going to approach them in a unique way but also like i basically grew up in a house full of women it was like for a lot of my childhood it was like me my older sister and my grandmother right and then you know i had uncles and I had other kind of like older male figures but never one i would probably authentically point to as like a father figure right so i think even then i was during NSL aware that like, oh, wow, like this is a very strong black male environment and this is probably something I need mm. sort of existentially. But then also like I was like I was meeting guys like you I was meeting guys like bad news. I was meeting like just everybody in that in that cultural context. And I was like, yo, like this is amazing. And I have an amazing opportunity because it's fully paid for. Dang. Yeah. 
So wow. So NSO comes, and that kind of flips it. So at that point, do you think you had decided, or you were at least starting to shift towards like, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be here. Like this is where I need to be. Yeah, I felt like by the end of NSO, I was like, this is where I need to be. There's, there's no place I'd rather be. Wow, that's incredible. That that I I think, you know, we're we're on the other side of it. So it's not a. We're on the other side of that, but um, I think for an eighteen-year-old kid, man, to to have that mindset, that awareness, like actually, no, this is what I, where I need to be, and this is where I want to be, and to flip that switch so quickly, um, I think it's a testament. It's it, you know, it's a testament to Morehouse for sure. Um, so, what was the plan, man? Coming in, you were like, okay, I'm realizing, like, yo, I need this. There's something here that I'm getting, something here I need. What was the plan? Because you already, because what I'm thinking already is like, first of all, things never go according to plan, right? Shift never. happens. Literally never. Right? It never, right? So we, the fact that we're here is is really interesting to, to say the least. But you you realize like, okay, I'm here. But what was the what were you thinking, man? What was the mind of like 18, 19 year old Dom? Like, what, what were you going to do? Um, I think, I think, uh, I knew I was smart. Right. But then I, you know, get into an environment where like a lot of people were senior class president. A lot of people, you know, what like wanted to be lawyers. I, like, I don't think at, as a freshman year, I was just like dead set on law school. It was a mix of like something political, maybe, maybe, maybe finance, whatever, whatever. But I think like this, leaned a bit more into the political side of things and then chose like the poli sci major. And I think maybe, maybe probably about around the time by like sophomore year, I knew it was like, like law school was the goal. But I think for me at that time, it was fell in love with Morehouse. I'm in Atlanta, but I knew that like, okay, I kind of need to like branch back out after college, like move somewhere, go somewhere, see another city, just kind of see what's out there. Cause I think for me, like, having kind of grown up in Atlantic City, which is like, a, I could still call it like small town America. Like my mother grew up there. My grandmother grew up there in the 20s, like small black neighborhoods, tight community, one high school for the whole town. Mm. Like, you know, and before it was integrated, one white high school, one black high school, then they fused it together. Like um, coming out of that, like kind of like parochial environment and like going to Morehouse in Atlanta and being able to see guys just from other black guys from other cities in the country right and then definitely across the like socioeconomic strata as well like i think you really start to see that like yo there's a bigger world out there like mm -hmm. there's a world beyond atlanta even if you know and i think you know anybody can like go to morehouse and graduate and stay in the a and like live extremely well especially mm -hmm. back then like talking about 2010 like you could if you could get a $60,000 job in 2010 and be in, in Atlanta, you're straight. Like you buy a house off gate. Why okay. not? Right. But I think for me, it was like, okay, like the Northeast still had an attraction and things like that. But really by the time it like, like freshman year, it was still like, yo, I know I'm smart. I know I'm driven. I know I can like make something shake, but I, I was really like, yo, I'm here now. Like I have a measure of freedom and I kind of want to live it up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I, I think, uh, I didn't think I did live it up, but like, I don't know if you remember, I did not drink all of freshman year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was, and I was meeting guys who were like, oh yeah, we used to, you know, house parties in, you know, high school, have yeah. a couple drinks, whatever, whatever. That just wasn't my experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
you, you know, so yeah, that definitely wasn't your experience. So what I remember from freshman year, so so I would say a couple of things stick out to me. One, yeah, you didn't drink. I remember that, like maybe early freshman year. After that, then then we started turning up, and you know, it, it was all up or all down from there. Um, but also, you were one of the smartest cats who I knew, right? Like I, what I was impressed by coming to Morehouse was like, yo. Not only was I not the smart, like I was so far from the smartest guy, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, it became like not the smartest black guy, right? A lot of schools I went to growing up, or you know, it was thirty percent black, maybe really? forty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, every school I went to was ninety plus percent black. Right. So we from, had a, from daycare to high school. From daycare. From daycare. That's every wild. School. Every single school. But I, so that's interesting because I think. That is a huge factor that shapes uh, just people, right? But it shapes black people and black boys differently because you didn't, in that case, because the way you talk about it is like, yeah, like I was I was a smart guy. I was one of the smart guys. For me, I'm like, I was one of the smart black guys, mm-hmm. right? Because I kind of got put into that box, right? I remember going back to like fourth, fifth grade. It was me and maybe two other black boys in my class. I remember two guys. I can't remember if it was fourth or fifth grade. But I remember, like, they were, I think, from some, like, I don't remember. They were from, like, a, a downtown Raleigh area before downtown Raleigh became what it is now, right? It was, it was oh, you from downtown Raleigh. And so, um, but they got treated differently from me. Oh, yeah? Yo, I, I peeped. I and you can notice it. it in, like, fourth or fifth grade. Dude, I saw it. And, and, and so I got, you know, nigga went to recess every, you know, every mm-hmm. These guys, Latrell, you didn't do this. Josh, you didn't do this, right? Like, uh, no, 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 you got to stay in here. You can't go outside. I'm like, dang, wait, but he's trying. Or they just getting called out, like right. little things. Or it was like, but Brian, you're different. Right. And it was like, but actually, I'm, yeah. I'm not the right. You're right. the good kid. I'm like, actually, I'm not. That's my, that's my nigga right there. Right. Like, yo, right. let, give my man... Give my man his freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Give him his papers. We're right. supposed to be on the yard. Yeah, like, let my man cook, though. Yo, we in fourth grade. Exactly. We in fourth grade. So yeah. I peeped that, but so coming to Morehouse, it was like, not only am I not the smart black guy, like the black guy does is out the window. Yeah. So whatever ideas I had about myself at that point, the black guy was out the window. Now I'm just not the smartest guy. Right. And now, but what it did also was like it pushed me to be better, right? Like, okay. I, I knew I could be, I knew I could like, you know, study night before for a test. Right. College. Also, what, what's your identity separate from your ability to academically achieve? Yeah. So like, like that's, that's table stakes now. Yeah. So who are you going to be? Yep. Like as a person, as a man. I, I couldn't, couldn't have said it better. I won't even, I told Charius, I'm not going to bro explain that. That's, that's exactly it. Um, as, and I think that's what we all kind of got. It was like, yo, we had an opportunity to step into ourselves, to define who we wanted to be outside of just an academic identity. And that was a big part of it, mm-hmm. right? We talked about it like sports, like I couldn't name, no no shape. If you if you play ball, if you, whatever, I can't name a ball player. I can't name a football player. I can't name a basketball player, but I can name who was our class president. Right, I can right. name our SGA president. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like it was it was kind of flipped on its head. So the academics were still there, but still like an identity, like your identity had to be forged through something other than the black guy, the right. black this, right? And and I think that was really 
important and really special. Um, so, so look, so you made it, you, you make it through freshman year, mm-hmm. get through sophomore year. I remember you, you like flipped the switch a little bit after freshman year. Yeah. Um, what, so what, I yeah, think intentionally so. Yeah. So I think freshman year was okay. Now I have this freedom and everybody's smart and to that point of like, okay, well, what's your identity separate from your academic achievement? I think for me, it was a little bit of a growth process to be like, okay, like, cause I felt like from my per- perception, like a lot of our friend circle kind of came in and they were kind of were like, you know, the it guys, the, like the cool guys, right? Like we, you know, we out here, like we meeting these girls, whatever, whatever. And I think my identity then, and sometimes I kind of still have that chip on my shoulder a little bit now. It's like, you know, I'm like the super skinny guy. Like I'm just mm. like super, super skinny. Like, and I get it. Like tons of people, I'm like every, but like you look back 10 years where well, everybody's skinnier than they are now. Sure. Right. But I think for me, it was like, I was around a, a lot of guys. who so I felt like we're just way more confident with women or just confident socially in general, even, you know, detached from like romantic or like, you know, whatever kind of interactions with, with women. And I felt like, yo, like, you know, like these guys are cool. Like, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like I always had confidence, if not like, like cool. You know what I'm saying? Like some dudes were just like, just like cool, right? And I think I still kind of had a little bit of a youthful mindset and thinking like, oh no, I need to be like cool, Mm. you know? Like I need to be a certain kind of way to either like attract women or like, you know, have some like notoriety, whatever that means when you're 19 and and a sophomore or something like that. But I think very intentionally, I was just like, okay, like I started drinking, like we started going to or I started going, you know, going to parties with y'all and like going to these house parties and stuff like that and like being out there and being in the mix and like kind of really like I think really like kind of blossoming out of coming out of my not a shell, but kind of just blossoming a little bit and like living it that way. Um but I, I like I, I I like kind of distinctly remember being like, yo, like like let me let me like see like let me let me see what this is about. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know what's you know what's funny about that. I I never thought of you as not being confident. You always came off as very confident. Um, I saw you as like I saw you as the skinny nigga. Yeah, right. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was thin. You were thin. You were petite. You were petite. No? First of all, <laughs> I'm coming petite, brother. We'll, we'll check, we'll switch I was small. Yeah, I was no, I was small. You keep it, it in. small no, side, no, right? Because no. we used to slot box. You know, yeah. we had we had a little do, battle. And at that point, I could, you know, I I, could, I, I was, was lanky, like, man. I just had I just had to reach, but I ain't really had I ain't had a I ain't had a speed, right? But these days, I'm I don't put a little something on, yeah, so you know, I don't, don't try. I, I stay away from that. Yeah. Stay away from that. Saying what you want, bro. Not that I can't handle mine, right? As a man, right? Just on some, you know, some toxic shit. Oh, but. To, to that point, another phenomenon that I, like, d- distinctly remember was, like, and I, I, re- I remember I would come back to, like, my high school freshman year, and I would describe Morehouse as, like, a mix of, like, prison, <laughs> summer camp, and, uh, and, like, boot camp all, all, all together. But, like, the, the, like, the funnest parts, I don't know if this is, like, the funnest parts of prison, but it was, like, a lot of guys and a lot, like, a lot of genuine, like, bonding and sincere friendship, but also like a lot of like kind of male, you know, like the, oh, yeah. you see the National Geographic documentaries where it's like two bigghorn sheep and they're in <laughs> each other's territory. 
And it's like, they don't want to hurt each other. They just want to test yeah, yeah. the dominance, right? So there was be guys like kind of just, you know, play flighting in the hallway and then it turns into like a little little grappling, little wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, why when you put like 50 dudes on a, on a floor together, why, like why they got to wrestle? But it, so it's, I, I think that's a, I, my opinion, my perspective on that, I think a lot of that has to do with the limited ways that black boys and black men have to express our emotions, to express our friendship, to okay. express our affection okay. for each other. So I think a lot of that. Even affection is expressed through mild violence. Exactly. It's oh, a, wow. So if we're going to express it physically. This is my opinion. I, I'll, I'll put the disclaimer out there. Mm-hmm. Right? I've said this before, and I, I try to reiterate that this here, that I'm an expert on two things, biochemistry and Brian. Mm-hmm. Right? And I try to stay in my lane as oh. far as speaking with authority on things that I'm not well, you know, that I'm not well versed right. in. In this, in, in this case, that is truly my, that is my opinion, mm-hmm. is that I think that because of the society we live in, because of the culture, not black culture, we're talking about society, society, American culture, patriarchal culture, culture. Mm-hmm. I think that we are limited in the ways that we can express ourselves, that we avenues that are acceptable for us to express ourselves. So I think the slap boxing, the yeah. wrestling, the grappling, all that stuff that get that goes to a physical point is because we don't have the words or other ways yeah. to say like, hey man, I love you, man. I, right, I really right. appreciate we you. We haven't been given outlet or even like social space to do that. I To that exact point, I remember we were, I think it was like me, Cameron Williams, and maybe forget who else it was. And we were right there on Fair Street and we were coming from something. This might have been sophomore year or something, maybe even freshman year. And we were walking and we had our arms over each other's shoulders, just like shooting the shit, laughing about something. And a dude was driving down Fair Street, slowed down, rolled out, rolled down his window, black guy, and said like, Hey man, take your hands, take your arms off each other. Y'all niggas look gay. Wow. And we were just like, bro, we just like coming from some event in like, what's that, uh, Archer or Forbes or yep. something? Like we were just like shooting the shit. And I was just like, we wouldn't like hand on each other's ass or something like that. We were just <laughs> like a like you throw your your arm over like your dad's shoulder or like your little yeah. brother's shoulder, just like yeah. affectionately. And I remember that like so distinctly. And I'm just like, damn, bro, like. Like, is it dark in that box that you live in? Right. Of how you can, like, like how you can, like, move and express yourself? Like, you, that, they're like, right. yeah. And I think when it, when it comes to, when I think about, like, this, the social space to be, I also think, like, in that freshman year, sophomore year transition phase, I also, even for myself, you know, thought about, like, okay, well, like, you know, what, do, what does, what does being cool look like? Like, mm-hmm dress wise like what does being cool look like and the way you speak to women mm-hmm. right so like you know i had my little uh freshman year girlfriend and it was what it was which was a whole lot of nothing but uh no, no shade to her sure. Lo- lovely okay. young woman okay. <laughs> my favorite lovely <laughs> young, woman. Lovely, young lovely, woman lovely woman uh, uh i think i follow on instagram um she's doing good uh but after that, it was okay. Like, and I and I and this is something I also like distinctly sort of felt like, and remember having conversations with certain guys in our friend group, being like, "Oh no, Dom! Like, man, you just you being too nice to these girls, man. It's not gonna mm. get you anywhere." Mm. 
you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of ignore them a little bit because that's not. I forget who it was, but I swear when somebody said like, "Yeah, look, you just gotta ignore them." That's the only thing they understand, right? And you think about that like now with the, hopefully with the emotional intelligence you have as a thirty-five-year-old man, you just sort of like, yeah, that kind of that negging kind of like stuff where you gotta like not demean a woman, but like sort of withhold your intelligence as a, as a stick, you know, Mm -hmm. to like get affection or attention from them. Like these are a lot of the things that I'm thinking about like freshman year, sophomore years. I'm trying to like, yo, there's an entire school of beautiful women over here. Like I'm sure you like, how do I access it? How do I, you know, like say what's up. And like that, like, I wouldn't say I struggle with that, but like, for a long time, I was like, yo, like, you know, like, I'm a skinny guy. I know I have confidence. Like, I know I'm funny. Like, I can mm-hmm. look the humor. Mm-hmm. But it's always like, oh, like, yeah, but the humor gets you in the friend zone, man. Mm. And when you're in the friend zone, you're not in the end zone. Yeah, that was it. Right. <laughs> and it might still be things that, like, we think about or, like, um, say to, like, you know, people today, men and women. Yeah. You know, like, and so as I was thinking about, like, <clears throat> who are, who who might I be when I graduate from here as a professional? That was one thought. It's who I am now internally. It was, you know, how am I perceived, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I think there's sometimes I definitely probably got off on what I think was likely my perception as being really smart, really genuine. Right. But then there are other times where it's just sort of like, yo, like, yeah, but I like I'm something beyond like just being smart and knowing trivia or, you know, or just, you know, I think you want to everybody wants to be perceived as like a kind and nice person. Right. But mm-hmm. like I think when you're pursuing like, you know, romantic attraction from women, you want to be like, oh, yeah, like I want her to be like talking in her dorm room about me, whatever, whatever. And then like realistically, I just wasn't that guy. Yeah. Like I'm not like I wasn't a I wasn't a Rico Suave kind of dude. I, I don't think. Yeah. And maybe if you ask like, you know, some people like maybe like you ask like Lauren or something like how was I perceived by like her or like how, you know, did other women back then look at me? Maybe you might get a different answer. Yeah. No, I think you I think you bring up um, yeah, you, you brought up a, a lot of good stuff because and this is a question that I want to continue to ask guests. And there's obviously no right answer. Um because part of what you're talking about, you're getting into identity, you're getting into masculinity, you're getting into some a little bit of the mask, right? That that people, not, not just mm-hmm. men, um, but that, that people wear for different reasons. And um, so, what do you? What is your? Um, not just definition, but like. How do you perceive masculinity and how has that evolved? Because that's kind of what I hear you talking about, especially, you, you know, kind of talking about as it relates to women. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and also two straight men. Right. Like we're two heterosexual mm-hmm. men. So that is part of our experience. But it's not obviously the entire experience uh, of men or the entire male experience even. But um in that context or even outside of that context, because a lot of what you're talking about is how other men perceive you, how your friend, how we, right, right. your friend group perceives you. But like what, what maybe what, let's start with maybe what did masculinity, can you think about what masculinity meant to you at that time and, and how that has evolved? Gosh, so I think what masculinity meant to me at that time 
probably was heavily influenced by how like I wanted to be, to be perceived as like cool, right? Like it was like okay, masculine at this time, especially in a very unique like Morehouse context, it kind of what like it was probably extremely heteronormative, both from my own internal perception and what was sort of I think very deliberately laid upon us. Mm-hmm by the institution for you know its own reasons you know external branding and continuing cultural capital you know as well right it was it was that it was probably a like a way of interacting with the world as if like yeah the world is my oyster to command like that's the way a man you know you know he like takes care of his stuff like he's the king the king of his domain like my little like one little dorm room or whatever, like right. You remember I used to call it the Midnight Lounge. Which was Robert? No, no. When I was in a uh, Du Bois, three eleven, I caught like I, I, I think I put a sign on the outside that said like the Midnight Lounge. I don't remember that. This now, guy's room was like the hub. Like yeah. we would be posted there. He had a red had my, chair. Right. Had my GameCube yeah. in there. Cats would come in, play Smash the GameCube. I'd fall asleep, yeah. wake up. Three new niggas in there playing the game too. <laughs> right. well, I guess yeah, niggas just in there right? living wild. My man. little box TV on a little rolling little computer little stand, man. Boy, life is so time. simple. That's beautiful all we needed. That was it. A good chair to sit in and, and like you know, yeah. a TV. But um, yeah, I think and that's I think kind of what masculinity maybe meant to me then. Now, of course, it's you know I think. Conceptually, masculinity is like extremely wide ranging, right? And so, like, there's a sort of heteronormative view of it. There's masculinity as it's attached to, you know, your position in society, your position in like the workplace. I think now I'm like far more, I think far more about like, like masculinity as a concept is to like so socially constructed and culturally constrained like the, the like just the norms of like physical closeness and touch that we like take for granted here in the u.s are different in like england are different in france and then you get to like asian cultures and societies like the middle east and like south asian like mm-hmm. it's extremely different about like what a man means and that's which is why i think now with the hindsight of perspective and having traveled and stuff like that it makes it seem like even more ridiculous that we have this like this like weird macho like masculinity means that like you rule your domain, you rule your wife and like you like kill defenseless things yeah. as a way to like assert your your power over the, like the environment, mm-hmm. like even like your, your interpersonal environment and like your like outside that the like the house environment. And I think that is such a like the whole like masculinity as dominance of others Mm. things and people that's where probably most of my perception has like changed and evolved is like yo like we all get to be the people that we want to be like you don't have to you don't have to be anything that you don't want to be and like that goes down to something i think as amorphous as masculinity right like you can you can you can be i think you can be heteronormative without being toxic Mm. Right. I think you can you can be, you know, other norms of behavior without being toxic as well. And that's just as, you know, masculine as other things. Right. It's not the colors you wear. It's not what you wear. It's not the food you eat is not the way you speak to a woman that you're pursuing romantically or sexually. Like it's not, you know, I think 
and maybe I maybe I go a little bit too far when I conflate like masculinity and manhood. Sure. Yeah. And now when I, when I think about like manhood, I do think that maybe there's I'm still holding on a little bit to those like heteronormative or like traditional values of manhood of like got to be a protector. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm engaged now, getting married in like six months. I think about that all the time, like literally like being in, in the hotel room and being like, all right, Brittany, like I know there's like a little cafe in the in the lobby of the hotel, but like don't go down here to get you a water because we we were in a hotel like last year and she went out the hotel room at like two o'clock in the morning to like get a snack or something and then like came back and like maybe the door wasn't all the way closed shut and like some dude like tried to come in come into the room like was like opening the door and Brittany was like yelling like get out get out wrong room wrong room and I like flipped out I was like what's going on like I was like why like, why would you go out at 2am like even now like, I'm like yo when, like walk when she's walking the dog in the neighborhood I'm like yo it's, it's getting to be 10 o'clock do you want me to walk so there's the there's the protection part of manhood I think there's the providing part of manhood which I also think about you know like mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why I proposed when I did was that I felt like I was okay. Like, I feel like I can provide now, like maybe arbitrary, right? Because who knows, but you know, like manhood means protect manhood means provide. And maybe that's in line with like, maybe I still think of like masculinity. Like it means protect. It means provide. It means you know, be upstanding or, you know, and who even knows what that means. So yeah. definitely has changed depending on what, what period I've been in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can throw it back on you. Like, do, do you see masculinity and manhood as synonymous? Or is one like broader? I think Man, that's a great question. Uh, and it's not one that I think I have a well-thought-out response for. Um, I, I think I probably do see them as as synonymous, but I think I'm trying to, I'm actively trying to separate them mm-hmm. and and define them for myself. Um, I've ne- I'll say I've never felt pressured to define either one. I will say that. I've not felt pressure. That doesn't mean that I haven't operated in, um, in a, in a, in a, in a vein of manhood or masculinity that was, that was restrictive. Um, but I'm, but I don't think I've gotten, I've been at a point where I felt like I needed to find this and be this. Mm -hmm. And I, I think both can be very dynamic, right. Um, for me and how I, um, express masculinity and in, 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 in terms of how I think of myself in, in the sense of manhood. I think more broadly, I obviously I think things are very restrictive, right? Like you talked about the guy who made the comment, right? Mm-hmm. You got your arms around your boys and he's like, yo, take your arms down. Y'all look gay. It's like so much to unpack there. Like, right. w- w- who are you? <laughs> First of all, so right. who, who are you? <laughs> right, uh, right, keep fucking driving. <laughs> right, keep your ass driving. Um, why does that? What does gay mean to you? Right. How do? How is that? What does that mean? Right. 
Right. It's like your dad didn't hug you. Was your dad gay when he put his arm around you? <laughs> right. Right. Not as different, bro. Right. Right. Mm. So, it, it, or even, or, or, or even, okay, well, if, if physical touch amongst men equals gay, that means that non-gay men never, like, can, they may never express emotion that way. Yeah. And it's like, that's crazy. It's crazy. That's crazy. The more you, here's my thing, the more you restrict, the more you try to define this thing and let you, I think what it actually, I think what you're actually doing, and I don't think we're doing this and like asking you about a definition of masculinity or how you think about it. Maybe not so much a definition, but the ways you think about masculinity and manhood. But I think when we so strictly uh, try to define these concepts, because that's what they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? These are these are concepts. Right. Like the more we do that, the more we restrict our humanity. That's what I that's what I that's what I do think. I think we are limiting the range of humanness Mm -hmm. that we can express. express, Right. By by saying, yo, if I touch my 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 boy, if I touch another man. Right. That. I am. Number one, that I'm gay, which is nothing wrong with that. Right. Like, okay. Right. And literally like, and if we were. Right. Then, okay. Well, then you just took <laughs> 30 seconds out of your day. Now, what would, what would that be like if you were like, yo, we're gay. You know what I mean? Like, right. Oh, they, right. Would you be like, my bad? <laughs> like, my, fault, my bad, man. I right. I, I didn't know, man. Let me buy you all a drink. Right. right. No, you, but you wouldn't because, that, and that's a whole nother, that's right, a whole nother right, thing. Right. right? Um, but yeah, I think that there's a, there's an element of like of humanity that goes missing when we restrict being a man and restrict masculinity too, um, too narrowly. And and so, but you know, some of what you said, and so I'm, and that's not a critique of what you're saying. I think it's more a critique. And this is what this podcast is a critique of the narrow ways that masculinity has been defined and the ways that black men have either put ourselves in these boxes or Mm -hmm. that we've been put in boxes by society in terms of how we can be and exist in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and I think I like I think I probably think about that even more now as I think about okay, like do I want to start a family and like you know raise children and how you would teach them to, you know, be a functioning member of society and even think about like what you tell your kids they're allowed to be. Yeah. Right? And I think we like the theme that I keep thinking about when I'm hearing is that like okay, well there's a certain range of expression that men are allowed to be. There's a certain way of showing emotion that black men are allowed to show. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you don't fall into that narrow spectrum of what you're allowed to express or be or act or, or even feel like, yeah. I feel like sometimes for black men, it's like, okay, well you're not even allowed to feel mm-hmm. X emotion, let alone express it, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. so as a man, like, like, how would you like? You're not allowed to like feel, you know, like sadness. You got to be numb, you mm-hmm. know. Like, you think like, and it pervades, I, I think, in in different ways and through different parts of culture and stuff like that. It's like you think about like like you know little kid, you know, football players when they get hit, they start to pop right back up. Mm-hmm. You didn't feel it. Pain don't hurt. Pain don't hurt. Numb. Mm-hmm. Block it out. Nothing. I don't feel it. I don't mm-hmm. feel it go like just go do be i think there was a 
maybe it was like last football season. I forget which team was playing, but they were playing in like a cold weather city's NFL. And then, you know, it's like the pre, you know, pre-match warm up. And it's like maybe every member of special teams was out and like it's 20 degrees out there shirtless. Like we just shirtless. We just train shirtless because <laughs> we're men. We, and we're men. We don't feel we don't feel anything. Yeah. We're, we're warriors. Yeah, we're warriors. And I feel like, of course, like this sort of war, death, kill analogy is always applied to sports. Right. It's yeah. like this side versus this side. We attack. We defend, we crush, we yeah. dominate, right? But then you put that, that like, lay that context over like black men. I feel like it's even more. It's just sort. Of, it's like it's attack, mm. dominate, but don't feel, mm. don't show. If you can, if you, it's like don't feel, but if you feel, don't show. Mm. And if you show, only show it this way. You know what I'm saying? Like only I like, I, I love, I love. Uh, you know this about me. I love movie references, right? Sure. And so there's a. The Devil's Advocate, Al Pacino, oh, that's Keanu Reeves, come on. Come on. where he's just come like, on. you know, no, 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 I'm a fan. He's like, he's like, no, God put you in the box, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, it's like, look, but don't touch, touch, but don't taste, taste, but don't swallow. Yo. you know, and it's sort of, it's always like you're always, you're always limited, right? And like maybe, like so even society as a thing itself is a construct, right? So yeah. we talk about like, well. Society says, like, well, society's not a person that's like talking to you and leaving you a voicemail, right? But it's the it's the millions of social interactions and the social interactions that we perceive on television, in the workplace, in interpersonal relationships that we just sort of like we absorb like a sponge, right? So you mm. you learn the norms of behavior, right? And I think even even at Morehouse, like we learn the norms of behavior of dress. Yeah. We learn the norms of behavior of communication. You learn the norms and behavior of, you know, transitioning from being a student into the professional world, right? What like what does it mean to, you know, go to like a business dinner and how do you act and how do you sit and how do you hold your hands, right? Mm. And like what do you do, right? And so much of that is even culturally oriented to like a Western European white society, right? No norms of timeliness. I am the most timely person I know, <laughs> truly. Like by far, and they used to like send me over the edge when we were trying to go places in college, and you would like not be ready. I would just be like, to the point where I had to look back on and be like, yo, like, did you like like? You might have been like had like a little psychological layer there. Like there was like it was like why did it make you feel so you know? Like and it was like like that even that norm of timeliness. Like like what like why are you holding on so tight to like you know? Who taught you that you had to be like on the dot certain things? And maybe that's a bit of a tangent, but taking it back to like the manhood and masculinity part of it. It's there is no one way to be right. And to your point of like it limits like your humanness. Right. I think you you ask yourself, like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to like relate with the world around us and relate with other people? And what what has it been about society that has imposed these lanes on us Mm -hmm. and what value does society derive from that right so you think about if if we can assume that society derives some social value or some like efficiency value from putting people in lanes like you are hunter you are gatherer you are provider you are sustainer okay maybe in prehistoric times it had some value right you need somebody to get the bison because we all got to eat 
You need somebody to take care of the kids because we got to pass on our genes to the next generation. Like there's evolutionary value to that. When you have a complex society where we're not hunting our food day in and day out, what does a provider mean then? Okay, well, now we created this thing called money, right? So you no longer have to go catch the bison, but you got to bring home the currency that's exchanged for the bison's meat, mm. right? And so, so maybe there's some social value from these lanes, right? But like what, what continuing social value exists in the world for black men to be con- as constrained as they are? And I think mm. that's where, it, in my mind, that's where it's like, oh, wow, now the light bulb comes on, right? So if we assume there's some social value derived from people being in these lanes, if the lane for a black man is so restrictive, what value is being derived from that? Like, mm. who, who reaps the benefits of black men not being able to express emotion, right? And you might think about in a unique American context, well, black men can't feel and express because that's a threat to the majority culture. Mm. That's a, like, don't you dare get out of your box, nigga, mm. because I own you mm. as cattle, right? And so mm-hmm. it the value derived from black men not being able to, either not being able to express anything or only being able to express themselves in brute violence, mm. I think is largely like derived from the social value of like a, like a slaveholder class that says like, I can wring your labor dry Mm. But you can't do this. You can't do that. And the moment that you try to, you know, rise up, we're going to strike you down. Right. So I think that it, like it pushes both ways. Don't feel anything. But if you do 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 something, it's violence. It's like it's, yeah. it's aggression. It's yeah. it's dominate somebody else. Mm. You spitting, man. You spitting. That, that's it's the coffee, man. I'm, it's the coffee you want. You want that? I didn't kick that. I'm kick seeing that. sounds and smelling <laughs> colors, bro. Smelling colors. First of all, first of all, the uh, the devil's advocate reference. Love it. I know. Uh, well, it's it's a favorite. It's a favorite. It's, it's, it's a cult, cult it, classic. Cult classic. It's called classic, man. I, I watched that when I was young. My pops put me on. He, we watched a lot of movies and yeah. Um, but you, you you touched on some things, and um, I wanna I wanna move it move it along. I got I got one more topic I wanna get into a little bit, and then I'm gonna wrap it up with the rapid fire. Uh, okay. I got a rapid fire Q and A for you, and, and we'll be done. But I, I want to talk a little bit about resilience. Okay. Roughing it. All okay. right. What do you mean by resilience? Resilience. Um, and, and so the way I think about, I think of you as a resilient person. Um, and that may not even be the, 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 the exact word. Um, but I, I do think of you as a resilient person and specifically when I think about it, and we haven't talked a whole lot about like career stuff mm-hmm. and that's, in, that's by design, right? It's intentional. I want to get into, I share this with you. You know, I want to talk about the man, not the professional, right? Mm -hmm. As we talk about, I said this to Cherry, coming out of Morehouse, and like you just referenced, we have a way that we introduce ourselves. Right. Your Morehouse intro. Yep. Right? Dominic Jones, sophomore political science major from wherever you're from. There you go. Brian Brian Garrett, Garrett, chemistry major from. Yep, sophomore chemistry major from Raleigh, North Carolina. Right. So, 
And as you grow in your profession, it kind of evolves, right? And so right. now when you're JD, MBA, you're right. doctor, you're MD, PhD, or whatever, that sorts of, that right. means something that takes care of you. I am blank, this. blank at this corporation. Exactly. That does, right. Senior vice president at Blackstone. Right, Boom, right. you're done. You don't have to, right, right. you know, and, and that means something. And we all take that information and do with it what we want. So I want to get in, I want to keep it with the the man right the person behind the professional mm-hmm. um the person let's say the person driving the professional so um i know coming out of morehouse moved to dc you go to law school mm-hmm. right you go to american for law school right i'm in grad school we both we both just broke you know we just broke broke um but then we go from there right and you start looking for work right mm-hmm. we you know, you come and visiting me in North Carolina, Chapel Hill, crashing on the couch. We right. both, you know. Man, I so, was living on the couch at that time. Your right. couch was better. Like I, it was. It was. Shut up. Shut up. Sectional was busting. There you go. There you go. So, I mean, like, what when you think about that stretch, right? Because mm-hmm. it was it was broke, but it was. I don't know. Did you ever feel like you were down bad, or did you feel like was what did that what did that feel like? So no, the the short answer is no. I never felt like I was like down bad. But to like to like fully explain, it was like okay. Graduated from Morehouse, went straight to DC for law school. I literally like took the summer, just bullshitted around with the homies, moved to DC with a duffel bag and a dream. Three years of law school, graduated law school, didn't have a legal job. Right, moved into the homies' crib, was literally living on a couch, working retail. An interning at at a, at a courthouse for a judge, um, but in the year and a half ish where I didn't have like a real job, um, I think more than anything I realized that you know how little sort of physical trappings you need to be content. I wouldn't say, I definitely wouldn't say I was thriving. Wasn't thriving. I, I was surviving. Be- but it was like I was content. Like I was like with the homies, I could I could feed myself. I could like kick it a little bit. You know, I could hop on a thirty dollar mega bus, go down to Chapel Hill, and like have a blast for a weekend, and I hop back on that bus and ride six hours back to DC. Um, so I never felt like I was down bad, but I did feel like no. But you went to law school. Like, how are you on a couch? Mm-hmm. Right. And then I I saw get some of the guys I was living with and like realistically, they weren't making a ton of money back then either. But I was always just like, yeah, but they're not on a couch like they got like a real job, like a full time salary job. They got benefits, got a 401k. And it was just like I think I really had that moment of like so many people have been telling you your whole life, like you're the smartest person they know. And you on a fucking couch. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Where did you fuck up? Right. And so I never felt down bad, but that was always in my mind. Like, okay, well, what, like, what has it profited me at this point? Cause I'm on a couch, man, you know? And so I think I took that as like, you know, motivation and drive and always felt like, you know, if I'm not where I want to be, I'm never more than a, a couple of choices away from it. And like, that's the way I think of Maybe when I when I hear you say like resilience, I operationalize it as my inner thought process of Dom, are you where you want to be? If you're not, 
let's start making some choices. How do we get there? How do we get there? Is it like it's it's not the end. Like you can you can keep going. You can you can pivot. Like some people call it pivoting. Some people call it like sticking and moving. Like it was okay. Graduate law school. I'm on a couch. Now I got a legal job and I'm doing well. I think I want to be this. I think I want to be this. I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm not getting there. I pivot to something else. I'm doing that. I'm doing that for a couple of years. Oh man, like this is not working out. Let's go back to school again. You know, and I think, I think I have candidly used education and school as a crutch because I've always been really good at school. So I guess five years after I finished law school, I went back to business school. Hmm. Right. Because I felt like, okay, well, I really want to go into the private sector. I've been in government and like getting into the private sector and getting that first private sector bonus. It was like, yeah, that was it was a great choice. It was a great choice. And then getting from that role to the role I'm in now, huge corporation, amazing benefits, like what everybody would say was their dream and what I would have said was my dream two years ago. Hmm. Right. But there are realities even to that. Right. And so hmm. I have a friend from business school who. So active duty military, he went to a service academy so he didn't have to pay for it, then went on active duty for a bunch of years, and then his service paid for his business school. So he has zero loans. White guy. So entirely, you know, cultural context is definitely different, but doesn't come from a lot of money, right? Um, but he, you know, still, he's back in the service now. He's finishing out his commitment. Um his wife, you know, makes decent money. He makes like, yeah, like low, low six figures or whatever, whatever. But he's straight up said like, yeah, you know, like sometimes I turn to my wife and I'm just sort of like, we are in the top half a percent of all U.S. owners household. Like the house, I think the U.S. household median household median is like 60 K wow. household. That's 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 mom and dad 60 K together. So if you just you make 60k and your spouse makes anything you're above the median now double that yeah right and then he he put it he was like there's sometimes i think like how much more do we need Mm. how much more do we need right and i feel like part of my resilience and part of my pivoting has been like i know i'm not where i want to be but now that i am where i am at 35 there are times where i think like i live a good life right like do like do I need what uh, Cherry described? Do I need the like 24 stack, yeah. you know, garage thing? Yeah. D- is it like superficially amazing and dope and like excess? Yeah. Yes. But it's like, do you need it? Like when I was on the couch, I had a blast. Yeah. When we were living together, like uh, not not you and I, but like when I was living with the homies on that couch, like I was as far from a like 24 car garage as anybody could be. But it was fine. Yeah. Like it was okay. Yeah. Like it wasn't. It wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst either. Like, I, like I always have food to eat. Like I wasn't living on the actual street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was a great time. Every time I came up there, man. Shout out to, shout out to the homies. Hey, man, it was a great time every time I went to Chapel Hill. Yeah, yeah. So, look, man. <clears throat> I know you got to run. Let me hit you. I with know this. this is my fiance calling. Yeah. Make the call. I just sent it a voicemail. That's, that's, that's not going to pay good dividends. Make the call. Take a moment. No, sir. Yeah. Oh, I can take it. If you need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me just call it back real quick. Yeah. All right. That's it, y'all. We got a wrap. Man, I got another appointment. Niggas making moves. So, y'all, appreciate you. Hey, man. It was a good appreciate conversation, you, man. man. I appreciate but, you. Yeah, bro. no, we got to pick this back up. Pick yeah. Pick this back up.
definitely. So we'll we'll do a part two. This is Grab Your Why. Peace. All right. Welcome back to Grab Your Why. Uh, this isn't the first time this has happened. <laughs> Hopping off and finishing w- without getting to this final segment. Um, but I wanted to finish this conversation with you, Dom, um, that we were having. Um, a lot of life has happened. You got married. Um, you did get married. You did get married. Uh, what, a couple of months in the game now, almost? About two months. Yeah. Two months, almost exactly. Yep. So, and I was, of course, the best man uh, for that, which we, we already talked about in the episode. Um, but I want to close this out with a final segment. So it's a rapid fire uh, question and answer. It's 21 questions. 21, 21. Okay. Um, so just um, get whatever comes to mind first, right? Go, go with your first mind on these. And um, yeah, yeah, this is a Dom. Dominic Jones, not going to hold you. So first question, early bird or night owl? Early bird. What's your favorite way to unwind after a long day? Watching a a 90s action movie that I've seen 700 times before. Like Die Hard, like Hunt for Red October, that's getting endless spins. (laughs) That's what's up. Uh, would you rather go on a road trip or a cruise? Road trip, definitely. Favorite childhood memory? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Favorite childhood memory? Probably... We would have that. We would have these. Um, my elementary school was like very near a beach, growing up in Atlantic City, and so favorite childhood memory is probably like going on what they call a like beach day. So like each each year, like on like one day, the whole class, like half the school, would go over and like walk over to the beach and have like a beach day. And so I think there was like a a fourth grade beach day that I really remember just having a blast at. Each day. This was in Jersey? Yeah, this is in Atlanta. Gotcha. Favorite TV show? Ooh, right now, probably The Bear is probably the best, the best thing in the last few weeks. And now I'm kind of, The Bear goes by so quickly that, you know, end up watching it in like a night or, you know, a night, two nights or something like that. So, Nothing has really come close to, you know, as good as the bear has been. Gotcha. What's something you've always wanted to do, but haven't had the courage to try? Haven't had the courage to try. Hmm. Probably like scuba diving. Like, I don't. And I wouldn't say I haven't had the courage to do it yet. Just haven't. Like I would, I would love to kind of get around to being able to do it. Would you rather have a pet dog or a pet cat? Pet dog. What's your favorite type of music? Probably rap, hip hop. But uh, you know, there are times when I just appreciate just jazz. You know, in terms of you know if I'm trying to kind of like read something, like sometimes I get way too 
caught up in the words and like my, my sort of auto memorization kicks in and I'm like so focused on like the words of like I found myself being in being in the house and like doing dishes and like put on like some jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you definitely quote a song, man. You you remember lyrics from two thousand six, like yeah, like... man. It's a gift and a curse, brother. It's a gift and a curse. I don't want to know the Ducktales theme song no more, bro. But it's <laughs> it's not on me. It's in me. It's not on me. It's in me. Life is like a hurricane, brother. <laughs> that is just dropping lyrics. All right. Oh man! All right. What's one thing you've learned about yourself this year? Um, that large financial goals are just a series of small, deliberate steps and choices, and that you know, just having that discipline and that patience, you can get where you're trying to go. Dig it. What's something about you that people might be surprised to learn? I'm six one and I'm very lanky, but I am just not a basketball player at all. Like even like, oh, let's just have a little quick little, you know, pickup game three on three. I, I'm 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 not the nigga for that. <laughs> Was something about you that, oh, that I just did that. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, younger, so I guess it depends on how much younger. If I can go back to like right when I first started working, it would be, yeah, I know you need the bread, but like increase that 401k percentage. Um even younger to like high school era me advice, you know, like I think, and I think I've kind of followed this most of my life, like, but like, don't be afraid to kind of be yourself. You know what I'm saying? Just very, very simple stuff. I think like the most fulfilled and happy adults are just, you know, they're in their own lane. They do, you know, they got their own sort of friend circle and they don't, you know, they don't want to feel, they don't feel the need to stunt to appear to be wealthier than they are. They don't, you know, want to try to be nonchalant to appear to be cooler than they are. Like it's, it's okay to just be you. If you is, if you worries about stuff, then that's just you. If you ain't got it like that, it's okay, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, dig it. Dig it. What's something that you've accomplished that you're really proud of? I think getting to where I am now professionally, considering that, you know, I kind of did a pivot like five years ago, really based on faith that I could sort of figure it out as, as I go along. So just kind of getting to the place where I'm professionally, where not only am I sort of compensated well, you know, I feel like, you know, I know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm adding value when I'm, you know, in my role. What's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? Mm-hmm. Spontaneous thing I've ever done. Oh, well, I guess, I mean, 
did maybe barely count as spontaneous, but when I turned 30, I signed up for improv classes and did improv classes here at the DC improv. That was, you know, it was something I had thought about for a while, but then, you know, I was turning 30 and I was like, oh, why not just go ahead and do it? Like, you know, see, see how it is. I, I love improv. I've still not taken a formal class. Um, but we, yeah, I mean, well, I took like the, you know, the most beginner, whatever class, but you know, I've listened to like comedy podcasts and watched like stand-up comedians and scripted sketch stuff since I was like a kid, kid, like 10 years old. Like I was watching a daily show back when Craig Kilborn was the host. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. That's cool. Favorite soul food dish. Favorite soul food dish. No, it's just nothing like just like really good fried chicken. Can't go wrong. Just, you, you know what I'm saying? Like just like when the or like now for me, I come around to fried fish. Also, like when the fried fish is hidden, it might narrowly edge out. The chicken actually scratch that. The fried fish. When the fried fish is, is like hitting like it's supposed to hit, mm-hmm. it's untouchable. Oh, man. Oh, okay. I think you're the first person to say that. All right. Uh, what's your favorite book? Favorite book like ever, ever of all time? Who gosh. The funny thing is I like I read a lot of like sci-fi and fantasy series. And so it's hard for me to point to sort of one book in like a series that or, or do that in the last year maybe favorite book. okay in the last year favorite book in the last year um so I, th- I read this book on disney corporate culture in like the 90s it's called disney wars by james stewart mm-hmm. um it's basically like you know everybody you know for millennials if you like 35 you know, think of like the golden era of Disney animation. So like Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. That's basically like, I want to say it's like 88 to about like 97 or 98. Mm-hmm. And it's when um, Michael Eisner is the CEO of Disney. And I really got into sort of business nonfiction after business school. And it basically profiles like that, that whole golden era of Disney the culture inside Disney that sort of allowed for that creative renaissance, but then ultimately how sort of like power dynamics and executive egos and things like that led to Michael Eisner basically ended up, you know, being removed as Disney CEO in like the the late nineties. So it's a sort of a mix of like, Oh wow. Like these huge organizations are just, you know, full of people with these giant egos, like, everybody's making a lot of money, but, it, but then it also gives me perspective on like, you know, there's definitely a stage in some corporate environments where you just become so senior that like, even when you make bad choices, like you just aren't like, you're no longer mm. not really fireable. You know what I'm saying? Like you're fireable, but you get these massive golden parachutes and then mm. other companies pick you up right away. And so this is really not a lot of stakes per se, you know, once you're at after a certain level. And so it was just, you know, super unique to me. So it's Disney war by James Stewart. Gotcha. Would you rather go bungee jumping or skydiving? 
skydiving. The 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 like up and down on the bungee makes me feel like I'm I would I would like not like that. Uh what's your favorite quote? Favorite quote. Forgive me if it's cliche, but it's like the MLK, like the the arc of the more universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. And I try to, you know, I try to keep that in mind or like I'm reminded of that when, you know, there are moments, you know, I'm like, you know, you know, political professional now by trade and like hearing and seeing people who you know, don't follow politics very closely, but just kind of see their everyday, just experience their everyday lives. And then, you know, every four years, people are in their face saying, we're going to do this and vote for me because the other guy is going to blow up the whole planet. Hmm. Um, I think it can be, and then the sort of commensurate kind of apathy that I think a lot of young people have in terms of like, okay, well, what's the point if, such and such bad thing is still structurally there and systemically bad or whatever. And I just think that like, you have to imagine that like for all of human history, like, you know, young people have probably felt like, damn, like, you know, things, things kind of suck. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think as much as we think about like, okay, well, you know, baby boomers had a great, you know, you could buy a house for 10 grand and school was like two grand it's like, yeah, but also like, you know, like income taxes in the seventies were like 80% and like, you know, interest rates were 9% and, you know, things like that. So really our coming of age has been a period of probably historically low American interest rates. Um, but just generally, I think that you know, like change comes slowly and it comes hard and it comes, you know, step by step year after year and it's just you know people say like you know why is every election you know the most important election of my generation it's like because it is like because it doesn't take anything but a momentary decrease in momentum for stuff to be retrenched you know what i'm saying i'm reminded of like um tanahisi coast book you know we were eight years in power about the obama um the obama era or the obama years and I always tend to tend to think of that in hindsight as like, yo, like we had this like eight year period where it was just like, look, we can make a pluralistic, multiracial, you know, progressive, aspirational society that could that really could work for everybody. And like the immediate reaction to that was like, not so fast, niggas. Mm. <laughs> We're gonna get you this old white man again. And he is going to make his entire personality a noun, a verb, and Obama sucks. Mm. And people will flock to that in the millions. In the Mm. millions. People will flock to that so much so that they will blame, you know, Barack Obama for stuff that happened when he wasn't even president. And so I think that, you know, there's always going to be setbacks, but, you know, talk of the moral universe is long but events towards justice people people get or can become better and freer over time and sometimes it just takes it, it could take the lifespan of people you know what i'm saying yeah okay yeah. that's the so you hit, a, you hit us with a sermon man 
It's a good word. Appreciate that. Um, slightly less serious. Uh, would you rather have a green thumb or a, or be a master chef? Oh, master chef. I'd be, I'd be trying to, you know, whip it up a little bit in the kitchen right now. But like, if I had, you know, like a full kind of full, you know, commercial style setup in like enough time, I would definitely be chefing. Like uh, other people can grow the stuff. I'm going to just heat it up and throw salt on it. <laughs> I'm going to heat it up and throw salt on it. Cause that's what cooking is at the end of the day. Basically. Yeah. We'll keep a little salt. A little heat, a little salt. Oh man. Um, give me one unpopular opinion. What's your unpopular opinion? Unpopular opinion. Or your hot take. My hot take is that we could all fucking sit down faster in planes if we just loaded that bitch from the back to the front. <laughs> like I get that, like we we have decided that we need to stratis- stratify, you know, classes <laughs> in in planes and people will pay more to sit down 10 minutes earlier. But like, we all going to sit down faster. If you just load the niggas at the bathrooms all the way up to the people that the people, the people in first class, they can still get their little barefoot Chardonnay as soon as they sit down. Barefooted Chardonnay. Go ahead. Like it's, there's no reason why, you know, I'm in the middle of the plane and like, I can't even get to the middle of the plane because Somebody in first class is like trying to put they they stuff up, bro. Like we could all we could be we could all just we could be in and out. Maybe that's not the hottest take, but nah, that's a that's a. I'm with you, bro. I'm with you, man. Two more questions: Would you rather travel back in time or to the future? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if you think historically, these are the most rights that niggas have ever had. So if I go back in time, I'm kind of hustling backwards. Um, sure. But I mean, I guess back in time, I would at least have some kind of like, you know, mental reference point for, for it, right? So let's say back in time, but it would be like to like, you know, the Italian Renaissance or something. Mm. What what years? What year was that, or what years? Renaissance. I mean, broadly, you could say like you know maybe about fifteen hundreds to about seventeen hundreds. Seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds. They really eighteen hundreds is what you would call like sort of early modern era. Yeah. So you know, burgeoning industrialization, burgeoning electrification. 1500s is kind of 1500s, 1600s is kind of like your enlightenment. So like, well, you know, the, the sort of resurgence of like sort of science and um, philosophical principles and not in a, a, a moving away from sort of a religious-based society because, you know, like the Italian Renaissance was like sort of full of, you know, everyone was still extremely religious, but the arts and culture as a key component to like civic life I think was much more sort of emphasized, right? It was, you know, everybody listened to opera because, you know, that was the the popular music, right? And it dealt with like themes, well, you know, when it wasn't really mass media in terms of like the printed 
word, you know, you had like, it was art, you know, thousands of people could walk by and like see a statue and like, you know, talk about it amongst themselves. So. Man, we might have to have a whole nother segment called history with Dom. No, don't do that. No, it's going to be history and hot takes with Dom. Okay, look, that we can do because I'm about to say my I probably talk about history and then you probably get comments like there's no dumbass. It was 1522. <laughs> I mean, we can look it up, right? We, yeah, right, right. We get accurate with it if we right. want to. And, I, and I'm sure you're going to add, you know, you're going to edit over this and, and, and get, <laughs> have a little like have the Wikipedia article for uh, when the Italian Renaissance really started. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna look it up. I'm not gonna take the time to throw it up. Uh-huh. We'll let you know, let let the controversy do what it's gonna do. Let you know, let's stir the pot a little bit here. Um, last question: What's the best advice you've ever received? best advice I've ever received. That is probably, it wasn't really advice, but it gave me perspective on just sort of like life and like moving through adversity and that it was like more people than you realize had a period where they were just barely getting by and living on a couch. And, you know, it can seem, and I think particularly at the schools that we went to, schools of, you know, full of overachievers, right? Like, I remember coming into Morehouse and like, you know, half the dudes in, you know, the poli-sci courses were, you know, student class presidents and the other half were, you know, you know, whatever, Jack and Jip stuff or, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and it can seem like, and t- I've talked, spoken to some other guys who didn't do the graduate from Morehouse and go right into corporate America or right into grad school kind of thing where they kind of feel like, oh man, you know, it seems like everybody else is doing X, Y, and Z and whatever, whatever. And it's just sort of like, nah, man, like I, like I know those same people who like, you know, we, you know, we was all out here scraping by, you know what I'm saying? We was all out here going to checkers at, you know, 3 a.m. because we had $5 to our name. You know what I'm saying? So, Yeah. Yeah. I feel it. Oh, man. I, I appreciate you, man. We can properly close out this episode. We said when we originally recorded, we would do a part two. So I do want to get a part two with you, but I guess we'll okay. let some some more life happen. And, uh, but I'm, 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 I might take you up. I'm going to write something up for this uh, history and hot takes with Don. Oh, man. Like, yeah, I got, I got some takes, man. We can, we can have a little little recurring segment, man. Let's do I that. I got man. thoughts. Like let's I, do that. I know hashtag you do. Thoughts. Hashtag thoughts. I know hashtag you do. Hashtag thoughts. Oh, man, Dom, I appreciate you, man. Um, yeah, I think this episode is, is um, it, it's a big one. And, and, um, following the first you know few and kind of seeing people's response I, I can't i don't know exactly what it was but it became very clear to me that like oh no that, that conversation with dom needs to be next like that's what needs to be heard next and just the response to the clips that i've been releasing i think is indicative of that but beyond that i appreciate you man and um 
Uh, I love you, man. And I appreciate your friendship and, and uh, that we can sit down and chop it up like this, man. It's um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you being on the podcast, bro. In the meantime, everybody take care. This is Grab Your Why. This is my man, Dominic Jones. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks, man.